We're continuing in about a month-long study in the book of Joshua, which if you can do the math, uh, a month for 24 chapters is a bit, you know, quick, Um, but uh, we won't hit them all. Uh, Although today we're going to try to cover two and a half chapters, so we're going to move with speed today. Um, But I I think these all fit together powerfully and uh, in a way that will encourage your heart Uh, We're calling this little series Forward by Faith because there's no doubt in the book of Joshua that God is calling his people to go forward, right? That he's going to take them into the land he's promised them. He's going to do that under the leadership of a man named Joshua. Moses is gone and uh, it's time for God's people to move forward no matter how they feel about it. Um, we, we, We too often let our feelings run our lives, don't we? Um, And God has called us to trust him by faith. Faith is living by what we can't see. And uh, so that is kind of the idea that we're uh, kind of focusing on here in the book of Joshua. Uh, I want to start by asking you a question this morning. But before we do that, uh, let's go to the Lord and ask him to guide our time in his word. God, we do come to you in great need this morning as we just sang. We need the light and the truth of your word. We need you to be our guide. We need to listen to you. You have told us that you will make us like you want us to be by your truth. Your word is truth. And so today as we open it, would you help us not to go home as those who have looked in a mirror, ignored what we saw, and gone home the same as we started. Please help us to listen to to believe and to respond to your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to ask you a question this morning, and that's this. How's your heart? Like, really? It's easy to come to church and gather together and, and open the Bible and sing some songs and, uh, and never really get past the surface, isn't it? How's your heart? How do you really feel and sense and... What's going on, if you're honest? God brought me low this week. And um, I think in part it's because of the great truth we're going to look at together in his word. I, I know that. Um, but sometimes when, you're, when you've got an opportunity to preach or teach, you're begging God to make his word real to you. And it's like Saturday night and you're like, God, you've got to like bring this to another level for me. And sometimes you're like, that's real enough. <laughs> right? That's, that's how I felt this week. How's your heart? If I was going to describe the condition of my heart to you right now in three words, I would say that my heart is wounded, my heart is weary, and my heart is wondering. Does that connect with you at all? We get hurt in life, don't we? Things don't go the way we've planned. People do things intentionally or unintentionally that hurt us deeply. Sometimes I don't even know. Sometimes we're just tired. I took, uh, I took a little side hustle, a little side gig this year. It's way more of a hustle than I thought it would be. I'm doing some part-time teaching up at Intermountain Christian School. I'm teaching middle school Bible. Sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And somehow, I miscalculated the amount of drain that it would be to teach kids. How did I do that? Because I'm way too logical. I was like, hours, check. Bible, check. (laughs) You know, teaching, check. Drain? Is teaching draining? And I'm like, I'm I'm walking out some days like, Whoa. And we're having a lot of fun too, but man, two and a half weeks into school, I'm like, when is May coming? Right, Danny, we sent out that email, it's like the calendar turned to September. I'm like, is that close to May? You know, 
Are we close to Christmas, Randy? Where's Randy? Are we closer? Yeah. But I'm weary, wounded. And when, and when we're weary and wounded, we wonder, don't we? We worry. Things don't fit together. It's interesting in the text we read from Isaiah 40. It's the nature of our hearts to say, has God forgotten? Does he not see? D- does he understand that I'm, I'm trying to follow him and it seems like I keep coming to dead ends? You ever felt like you keep coming to dead ends? Like, God, I swear the map took me this way. How's your heart? I'm so thankful for the realness of the Bible. Aren't you? That it's not some book about superheroes who had it all figured out and got everything right. I mean, despite God's greatness and his goodness, his followers regularly struggle. And I feel like we'd all raise our hand and say, me too. They sin in ways that shock us. Think Abraham and David. I've been reading through the book of Genesis. You know there's a a residual problem in the people that God ends up calling to be his people? They're not honest. And it started with Abraham. They they move to these places where they're uh, afraid for their spouse because they think uh, their spouse will be so attractive that the ruler will want them to be part. So then they lie and say it's their sister. And it's not just Abraham. Abraham does it twice. Isaac does it. Jacob is all over the place with his lying. Um, It's just like everywhere. They struggle. We think about the, the, the amazing person that King David was, a man after God's own heart, and we're like, how did you train wreck it like that? But isn't that us too? They struggle. And even when God shows up and clearly calls them to something, they often respond with hesitation and need God's assurance. And that's what happened in Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. God was like, have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. That promise I made, I'm going to keep it, and I'm with you wherever you go. And I wonder this, what was Joshua's heart like that night when he went to sleep in his tent? I imagine he was excited and terrified. I imagine he was confident and doubting. I imagine he was full of all these mixed fears and emotions and and insecurities because here he was, a first-time leader with a gigantic task and a ton of people who were like, Joshua, what, what does God want us to do? Think about that responsibility. But isn't God good that when his people need assurance, he repeats himself and says it again? You ever told your children, I said it once, I don't need to say it again. I'm your dad. I told you once. Where is your obedience? I've said that. Most of you are more gracious than me. Praise God for that. But isn't it good that God repeats himself? Think about how often he repeats himself to people. Think how many times he says the same thing to assure our own hearts. He goes beyond that. When Moses and Gideon are like nervous about what God's calling them to do, he gives them signs. He says, here are are little demonstrations of my power that tell you I am with you. I am going to keep my word. And in Moses' case, he even gives him a sidekick. He's like, all right, I told you. You're so terrified. Aaron can go with you. It's okay. God reassures the fears of his people. Oftentimes, as we follow God, we find ourselves doubting. It's not that we don't believe God. It's that our faith, much like the disciples who followed Jesus, is weak. It's little. Remember the piercing question of Jesus in Matthew chapter 8? Why are you afraid, O ye of little faith? We know why they were afraid. The storm was big, and they thought they might die. That would produce fear, wouldn't it? God has undeniably called Joshua to this task, to live with courage. And he's personally promised to go with him, that no one would be able to stand before him. 
But as Joshua and the people stand on the opposite side of a raging Jordan River and look across to a land filled with huge obstacles and opponents, it is likely that their hearts hesitated or at least wondered. It is likely they paused and asked like Moses had many years before, God, are you sure? And I wonder if we don't ask the same question. God, are you sure you're telling me to lead this community group? God, are you sure you're telling me to parent all three of these kids right now for another day? God, are you sure you're telling me to have that hard spiritual conversation with someone? God, are you sure? And what we're really asking is, God, can I really trust you? And I think that's why we have the next three stories that we have in the book of Joshua. It's to settle and encourage and cement the little faith. Can we look at them quickly this morning? Joshua chapter 1. Starting in verse 10, Joshua says this, and Joshua commanded the officers of the people. So he's gotten God's words, he knows God's call, and he goes right to the leaders. Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving to you to possess. Joshua's first command, God's leader shares God's leading. He goes on a little bit with some of the tribes that were on one side of the Jordan River. And then they respond, the people that he is leading respond in verse 16, look at this. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. This next little section makes me laugh. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. If you know the story of the first five books of the Bible, it wasn't exactly perfect obedience and faith, right? So I think on the one hand, Joshua was like, all right. On the other hand, he was like, Tell me exactly what that's going to mean. <laughs> Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you commanded him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. In times when our hearts need it, God kindly sends us his encouragement. You know what these three stories are? They're encouragement for little faith. Their encouragement for hearts that are doubting and fearful and hesitant. The first one is the story of personal encouragement. Do you know God is good to surround you with personal encouragement? We don't always listen to it and sometimes we brush it off, but God surrounds us with people who encourage us. I get a text about every Sunday morning from someone in our church family who prays for a bunch of pastors in the area and sends them a text. That person sent me a text this morning. He said, praying for you as you teach the teens in their class God will use you. And then I said, and I'm preaching to the adults. And, and they said, just prayed again for that. It's just a little personal encouragement. It's the people right around you. Two weeks ago, right after I'd started teaching, another local area pastor came to our uh, school and gave us a Monday morning, you know, encouraging thought. And it came from Psalm 66, verses 19 and 20, which says, every day God carries you along. Do you know I have held on to that for the last two weeks? Sometimes desperately so. God sends us personal encouragement. So the people here, Joshua, relay to them what God has said. And as big as it is, the people say, we're with you, we'll go. No matter where God calls you, can I promise you something? You are not going alone. In our woundedness, in our weariness, in our fear, we feel alone, don't we? But in God's plan, you're never going alone. I remember when uh, God was calling this church to take a big step of faith. For those of you who don't know, this used to be Trinity Baptist Church. It's been here since early 90s, right? 
And when it was time for the, the pastor that God had used to plant this church and be faithful for many years, Lloyd Larkin, who will teach a quip class today, to step away, and God was bringing in a new team, the church had a lot of questions. And we walked through them, we talked through them, we presented everything. And I don't remember exactly what day it is. I think it might have been January 16th, 2018. It was right in there, first couple weeks of January. The church voted. And the, the 24 members who were part of Trinity Baptist Church at that time voted for four new pastors, new name, updated church documents to go forward. And they voted unanimously, 24 to 0. Do you know how often Baptist churches vote, vote unanimously? Zero percent of the time. Well, I guess one now. Do you know what an encouragement that is when God's people say, we'll go with you? And then we started to hear from local Christians who, who wanted to be a part of gospel hope. And then we started hearing from Christians around the country who were like, we think God may be leading us out there to be a part of this. Listen to me. God sends encouragement. Listen for it. Be aware of it. Don't brush it off because it came to someone who's right near you. It's actually a good and kind gift, a way that God gives us personal encouragement. It goes farther. Look at chapter 2. See that? We wrapped up chapter 1. Now we're in chapter 2. God sends to us unexpected encouragement. In Joshua chapter 2, Joshua sends the spies out. They send two spies, which which has an interesting reflection to Numbers 13 when Joshua and Caleb and 10 others went out to spy the land the first time and came back and said, 10 of them said, no way, and the people said, we're not going. So this is a very different scenario. But a lot has changed in 40 years. And so they send out two more spies. Look at Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly as spies, saying, go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Why did she do this? Verse 8, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know, think about the power of what Rahab is about to say. I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. That news had gotten all the way to Jericho. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. That was under Moses. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. By the way, that's a phrase you'll see pop up throughout the book of Joshua. Our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Look at this. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. What a powerful declaration of faith in the one true God. 
for a place you would never expect it. You know what God is encouraging his people with here? I'm way ahead of you. Can I just tell you this? God is way ahead of us. I used to think that like we were playing checkers and God was playing chess. And now I think the gap is so big I couldn't even describe it to you. It's like we're playing Candyland and God is playing chess in 3D 65 million moves ahead of us. You know what God is saying? I'm already at work. I'm saving someone by my grace that you would never expect. You would never expect Rahab to trust in the one true God because of her location. She lived in Jericho, part of the Canaanite people. They worshiped all kinds of gods. The most dominant God in their culture was Baal. That's all they'd ever heard from childhood. That's all they'd ever known. And yet God is at work. God is at work in this woman's heart. A woman outside the people of Israel. A woman who'd never heard the truth fully for herself, but she had come to faith in the one true God. And it's unexpected because of her occupation. I am struck by how God communicates about this woman. Do you notice the two things? God calls her by name. There's a personal love and care that God has for her. He knows her. He knows who she is. But he doesn't gloss over her profession. And we don't need to go deep into the weeds of explaining that profession. Most of you are familiar with it. If you're not, you can ask your parents. But, but here's a woman who, who had given her life to something that, that was immoral. Isn't it amazing in the life of Jesus how often he takes pity and cares and brings forgiveness into dark places. We gotta be careful ourselves, don't we? About who we put in what categories and who we think God might be able to rescue and save and who he might not. God does unexpected things. Wasn't it encouraging last week to witness the baptism of Bryce and Virginia Mann? And to hear Jenny's story of coming to faith as a teenager but, but never actually taking that step of obedience forward and to hear how God rescued Bryce in the last year from false religion and saved him, and, and how he could stand in there and say, the truth has set me free. Listen, God is working. I heard a story the other day out of Gospel Grace of a young couple they had visit uh, within the last month or two, and, and the essence of their story was they were out camping. And as they were camping, uh, the husband was looking around at all the amazing things that he was enjoying in their life. The job they had, the family, the beauty of the creation all around him, that they could sit there by their camper and just enjoy all this stuff. And he had this realization. I don't know who to thank for this. Think about that. Where does that come from? So he went out and bought a Bible. And he started reading the Bible and heard and understood for the first time that there was a God who had made all this stuff he enjoyed who had sent his son to die for him, and he showed up at Gospel Grace Church and said, I think I'm a Christian. God is working. He's working in unexpected ways. This week when I was discouraged and studying through this, I, I, was, I, I had this thought in my mind, which is kind of a funny thought to have. I thought, how is God going to encourage me in an unexpected way? It's kind of a funny thought, right? I, mean, I was expecting the unexpected, I guess. Right? So Fridays after I get done teaching and catch my breath Friday morning, I usually try to go out and play a little golf. That's how I recharge and refresh. And you can think it's as stupid as you want to chase a little white ball around a course, but I like it. I think fishing is dumb. There you go. I have it. 
Mostly because I'm terrible at it. Especially fly fishing. Okay. Sorry, Jonathan. All right. And I'd only planned to play nine holes, but the guy that I uh, set up my tee time with said I had to play 18. So I was like, all right, I'll book 18. And the thought in the back of my mind was, but I'll go home after nine. Right? So I'll pay for 18, but I'll just play nine. It'll be all right. And uh, Colleen encouraged me with as bad a shape as I was in. She was like, you need to play 18 holes of golf. So I was like, all right, excellent. So I, I, was, I decided to play 18 holes. So I get on the course, and I get with these. I, I'm always paired up with people I don't know. So I'm paired up with these two guys, and we're playing. And um, the two guys, uh, one of them is going through a really tough spot in his marriage, and so I was able to encourage him and, and uh, just talk with him, let him know, be praying for him, and, and it was good. But they were only playing nine holes. I didn't think you were allowed to play nine holes, but that's what they were doing. So they took off, and as did the guy behind us, I noticed there were two ladies, two groups behind us. And as I'm turning onto the 10th hole, grab some food, turn onto the 10th hole, the cart from behind pulls up with two ladies. And one of the ladies goes, Matt! I'm like, what? Turns out, it's, it, it's two ladies who know the Lord that I know from my time working up at the school. One of them's actually the lady who leads the church office right across the hall from where I worked. And we worked very closely together and became good friends. And she's actually just one of those people that exudes the light, <laughs> like joy. And I, I don't know how you're bummed out if you're spending time with Yolanda, if you've ever met Yo. And she's just, she's just so wonderful. And her friend Karen that I know is playing with her. And she's like, you want to play the back nine together? I'm like, I would love that. God planned you for my sermon on Sunday. You're my unexpected encouragement. Think about it. We live in a town of a million people. Not a hundred, not a thousand, not 10,000, a million. And God put us both in the same place at the same time to bring encouragement. Who else could have done that? So that's just a happy accident. Then I serve a different God than you. We finished our nine holes, went to return our clubs, and we had parked exactly next to each other in the parking lot. And it was as if God said, I'm here to encourage you. And the story of Rahab is an incredible story of God's grace and God's encouragement. Look at the end of chapter two, how the spies respond to hearing the story. God, God rescues Rahab. He rescues her family. That's an amazing evidence of God's grace. She's included in the line of Jesus. If you look at Matthew chapter one, it, it is a remarkable story. But look at the end of the chapter, verse 24. And the spies came back and said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the lands into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Faith encouraged. So God shows up unexpectedly to encourage, but lastly, God shows up powerfully. Look at Joshua chapter three. Joshua gets up the next morning and the people are on the move to the edge of the Jordan River. Look at verse five. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you 
and that he will drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Parasites, the Gershites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each man a tribe. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, of the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Don't miss this little parenthetical thought. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks through the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away, like 20 miles away, at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. God shows up with powerful encouragement. He's immense in his power. I, I grabbed a picture. This was about the best I could do. This is from a flood that happened on the Jordan River in 1935. It, it's hard to estimate how fast this was flowing. There's actually a, there's a great video on Facebook from a church of the Jordan River uh, at high season, right? If you've, if you've ever lived by a river and watched it over the course of the year, there's different seasons of it, aren't there? Right? Especially when you're dealing with snow melt or water coming from another place. Uh, we used to live in Steamboat Springs by a waterfall, and if you went to see it in May, it was just rushing and powerful. If you went to see it in August or September, it was kind of a trickle, right? So, so God's making a point here to say the Jordan River was impassable. Have you ever tried to go across a rushing river? I did this while um, it, experimenting with the most unenjoyable sport in the world, fly fishing. <laughs> Made two appearances today. And I did it with a friend who was trying to teach me fly fishing. We tried to cross the Provo River, and it was flowing at, um, I don't know, like, I wouldn't even guess. It was, it was fast. I'll say something that'll be wrong. And I was in waders. You ever been in waders? And uh, so he was trying to navigate it. He was clearly much better at navigating rivers than me. And uh, again, why well, I'm bad at fly fishing. And so we're about two-thirds of the way, and I fell in. Like, face first, water down my waders. <laughs> waders are meant to keep water out, but they're also really good at keeping water in. <laughs> so I'm not exactly light to begin with. So now I've picked up weight. Now I'm a wider target for the river to take to my real home, I guess. I don't know. And uh, I... I just, he, he grabbed me by the back of my waders like this and basically dragged me across the other side. And he was like, I thought I might lose you. <laughs> right, crossing a river is no joke and crossing a raging river at flood stage with, we would estimate like one to two million people is, is a bit of a thing. And yet God shows up and he backs the river up and he makes the ground dry and he cuts it off that way and he says, go across. Listen, don't let this story get lost on you because you've heard it a bunch. God shows up powerfully. 
Has he showed up powerfully in your life? I have a friend. His name is Kurt. Kurt is probably 80 now. Kurt and his family grew up in East Germany in the 1930s and 40s. And Kurt tells the story of the day that he, his brother, and his parents fled East Germany. And how they stitched any of the money that they had into their clothes and got on a train pretending that they were just going on a journey somewhere, a family vacation, and they got over into West Germany and escaped across Europe and came to the United States with the clothes on their back and the money sewed into their clothes. God shows up powerfully. Kurt was part of the little church that I was a part of in New Hampshire when it started, grew all the way up, and uh, God used him in some amazing ways. Do you have stories of God's power in your life? Both my parents came from divorced homes. Neither of them should have come to Christ, but God showed up. And he changed generations. There's a reason that God tells these people, go back in and get 12 stones and take them out there so you don't forget this. And some of us are forgetting that we serve the God of all power. And maybe we need some more little monuments in our house or in our life to remind us when God shows up in ways that are beyond anything we can understand. He had purposes for showing up. In verse 7, God says, I'm going to exalt you, Joshua. God's going to promote his leader. He wanted his people to know with no uncertainty that he was present with them. Here is how you will know, verse 10. And don't miss the little adjectives here. Here is how you will know that the living God is among you. The Lord of all the earth, verse 11 says. And he wants to assure his people that he will accomplish his plans. He's not only among us, but he'll complete what he started. He'll do what he says. And, and it's as if God opens up the Jordan River and goes, see, I'm with you. See, you can count on me. See, you can stay with me. God, are you sure? Yes. God, I don't know if you see, I see. God, I don't know if you can help here, I can help. And as Joshua and the people go across the Jordan River, it's as if God is yelling, I am with you personally, unexpectedly, powerfully. Encouragement is at the heart of who God is. I had way back at the beginning uh, a verse from Romans chapter 15. Let me turn there and read it to you. It says this, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And then this, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live together in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, some people think that God is back there like a teacher waiting for your test to come in to see how good you did. And certainly God is holy and we are accountable to him. But can I tell you something? If you know Jesus, you know what God is doing? He's coming alongside you and cheering you and pushing you forward. You say, God, I'm not sure. He's like, I'll tell you again. <laughs> I'm still with you. God, I'm not sure. I'll give you a sign. God, I'm not sure. I'll send you help. God is an encourager. You think about the work of Jesus even as he stands before the Father interceding for you. You think about who the Holy Spirit is, the comforter or the encourager. 
Acts says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. God is in it for the long haul with you. Don't bail on him. He isn't bailing on you. So I want to come back to that first picture. Is it okay to be wounded? Is it okay to be weary? Is it okay to be wondering? As I was running on that treadmill this morning with the non-working TV, God was working in my brain. And you know what he brought me back to? Isaiah chapter 53. You know what Isaiah 53 says? It says that God the Father was pleased to crush God the Son and to bring him to grief. Why? Because God the Father crushed God the Son and brought him to grief for his greater purpose and the joy he had set before him. Can I ask you something? Are you and I more deserving of a clean and easy life than God the Son? Or does God have better purposes than what we may understand? Hebrews says this, consider him who endured such hostility of sinners lest you grow weary and faint in your hearts. Turn to Psalm uh, 73. I want to leave you with two verses from the Psalms and we'll be done. David is wrestling with the reality that it seems like people who don't love God are getting away with it and are having great lives and he's struggling and life is hard. And he says this in verse 25. He, as he often does, he kind of talks his heart down. He says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can I encourage you as we think about God's encouragement today to remember Listen, God shows up sometimes in ways that are so powerful and so impossible from a human perspective that we better not forget them. Can you let your mind go back to some times that God has showed up in your world and in your life in ways that are so powerful that it could only be him? Remember and keep remembering and tell your kids and keep it going. This is a generational story we read in the parting of the Jordan River and another we'll read at Jericho. Remember, can I encourage you also to look for the unexpected? Look for God to show up or send things that you don't expect to encourage you. And can I encourage you to listen? When when there's encouragement coming from the people around you, as you're in God's word, listen for his encouragement. He wants to build your faith. He wants to grow your confidence in him. He wants to take you low so that he can encourage you. There's a purpose in the pain. So stay with him. What did Paul say? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. What powerful stories these are in Joshua of who you are of your greatness and your glory, of your saving work, of your parting the the Jordan River, 
of your rescuing Rahab and her family, of your bringing the nation of Israel together to follow your promises and accomplish your plans. You are the hero of the book of Joshua, God. You are the one who is carrying us along day by day as our Savior and our God. God, would we not fight it when you take us low? But would we ask, God, what are your plans for us? What are you doing? Would we not ask that from a place of frustration or anger, but a place that seeks you and trusts you and knows that even as you guide us through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear any evil, for you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. So we come to you today, broken people, tired people, hurting people, sinful people, thankful for who you are, what you have said in your word, and what you do and how you show up in our lives. It is truly amazing. We thank you for your encouragement. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.